This is Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and today I have on the phone with me two authors of the recent book, Dreaming in the Classroom, Practices, Methods, and Resources in Dream Education. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Kelly Bulkley and Bernard Welt. Kelly is a visiting scholar at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley. He has written and edited many books, including The Wilderness of Dreams, Exploring the Religious Meanings of Dreams in Modern Western Culture, Visions of Night, Dreams, Religion, and Psychology, and Among All These Dreamers, Essays on Dreaming and Modern Society, all published by SUNY Press. And Bernard Welt is Professor of Arts and Humanities at the Corcoran College of Art and Design and the author of Mythomania, Fantasies, Fables, and Sheer Lies in Contemporary American Popular Art. Welcome, both of you, to Dream Thank Talk Radio. You. Thanks for having us. Bernard, I have to say, you do get the prize for best title ever. Fantasies, <laughs> Fables, and Sheer Lies in Contemporary American Popular Art. The Sheer Lies, the sheer lies part gives me great pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just so thrilled to see this book as a, a longtime educator myself, and uh, and and one of what you would call a dream entrepreneur in the, towards the end of your book, which we'll get to that. I was really fascinated to see this uh, treatment, very thorough treatment, I would say, of the uh, how dreams can be integrated in curricula across the board, not just in college or graduate level. And so my first question to both of you is about the genesis of this project. What made this seem like the right time and place to bring all of this material together? Well, that's a... <laughs> that's yeah, a I'm, I'm letting Kelly answer that because he <laughs> was at the genesis, and we want uh, very early on to uh, discuss Phil King's role in the book. Right. Yeah, yeah, our, our sort of... We were tri-authors, uh, and uh, uh, Phil King, uh, uh, along with Bernard, myself, and and we first got going with this, you know, basically through the International Association for the Study of Dreams and then annual conferences where we um, shared several panels on dream education, Phil, Bernard, and I, and, and, you know, found that there's a lot of interest in the subject and yet not a whole lot of... Um, Material to work with about teaching this, you know, the, the 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 practice of teaching students about dreams. So, yeah, the the roots go 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 back, you know, more than ten years, and we've been, you know, pulling it together and finally finally got it out. Mm -hmm. And what I've found very heartening at those conferences is that there were always people who were interested in quite specific issues of what do you do in the classroom. How do you describe this to your colleagues, administrators, and faculty? How do you describe the course in a way that shows students that we're doing serious academic subject matter while at the same time having an experience is going to be personally meaningful? Mm -hmm. But the people who would come to the conferences were actually interested in all kinds of subjects. And for me, as well as you know, pushing us in the direction of this book, it also opened up a lot of interesting contacts at these conferences. Uh -huh. Yes, I remember seeing on the uh, some of the IASD uh, forums, discussion forums, a, a call for uh, syllabi from professors who were using mm -hmm. dreams in various ways over a, a period of years. So I imagine that was part of the gathering information and, and making contacts as well. And finding that people were doing these very, very interesting things and were not necessarily in contact with each other. Yes. 
so that, you know, in nowadays the, the websites, the blog, whatever, is a great way to put people together, but there's still a place for the book. Right. <laughs> the book that people take up and that, that, that introduces them to possibilities that may not have realized before. Well, yes, and I, I think, I mean, some of these came as no surprise. Some of the chapter headings, for instance, uh, a treatment of dreams in psychology, that seems like something readily understandable by the general reader, that that's, that, that's a good fit. But I think some of the uh, subject matter might surprise people. For instance, uh, philosophy, film studies, Bernard, your, uh, your area of expertise, psychotherapy, but also primary and secondary education. So I, I, I appreciated how you, you wove in several different things, and maybe we can just talk about uh, some of the categories. For instance, I mean, maybe anthropology would be one that people wouldn't necessarily think of when they think of dreams. Yeah, well, well, I mean, we each took kind of the, the lead in uh, writing about the different uh, disciplines and the different areas of, of dream education. and. Just, just, you know, as, a, as a, a broad thematic point, I mean, we tried to cover as much as we could, but not absolutely everything. But we, we found creative teaching uh, strategies and practices in so many different uh, areas and levels and disciplines of, of education. So um, each chapter is kind of a microcosm of, of something that we found in all these other places. Uh, with anthropology, it, it, it goes back to the founding of the discipline and trying to understand, you know, others, you know, people from different cultural backgrounds and contexts. And, and oftentimes dreams were uh, gathered and studied and discussed. And so the, the, the discipline of anthropology right into the present day, there are many teachers who do, I mean, this is one of the surprises, how many of their practices in the classroom were similar to the practices of psychology teachers, uh -huh. just with different uh, discipline. So, yeah. And, and sometimes there are surprises the other way, that, you know, you have somebody who is very interested in psychological theories and has never really thought about dreaming. Right. You have somebody who has uh, been teaching Freud for 20 years and has never thought of asking students to keep a dream journal. So, you know, the recognition yes. that there is an experiential component to learning yes. that's involved in dreams can pop up in any field. And I guess what I'd like to say that... Uh, in a sense of the foundation of thinking about uh, dreaming and education going together, dreaming being an interesting topic in education, is that it is a question of the continually unsettled nature of the dream. Uh -huh. so what do we mean when we say a dream? For me, and I think you know, Kelly and Phil and I felt this was a good starting point for, for doing something that was divided into disciplines because that's how education works, but that consistently raised the question of interdisciplinary education right. and interdisciplinary right. models, is that we start with the supposedly, um, you know, uh, typically private and subjective experience of the dream, but we very quickly get to cultural issues. We very quickly mm -hmm. get to the sharing of the dream. Mm -hmm. And sharing of the dream, whether that's the dream or some other phenomenon, brings in philosophy, brings in anthropology, brings in art. Right. Actually, yes, and there, uh, well, I'll, I'm, I want to skip ahead of myself, so I'm going to try and, and stay mm -hmm. um, 
because there's so many ways I could branch out in this conversation. Uh, to your earlier point, Bernard, you, there, there is this, uh, the, one of the early chapters of the book is dreaming as a fundamental academic skill. And you were talking about just the idea of bringing dreams, dream journals, into the classroom in different ways. And, you know, I think this is just a marvelous, I, I really appreciate how all three of you have framed dreams in terms of education and really yeah. kind of vice versa. And Kelly has a lot more experience with primary and secondary education yeah. as we're bringing it up before. So it might be good, Kelly, if you just said a thing about, I mean, some people think that it might be very difficult to work with dreams in primary and secondary education. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, usually done through creative writing or art projects, um, depending on how old the kids are, maybe a science project, but it's you know, little kids dream a lot, and and the teachers that we we interview and whose uh, practices we include in in the book, you know, talk about how easy it is. You know, it's it's really um, just creating. I mean, and 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 the interesting thing is the same same practices that make for effective dream teaching in preschool are this are going to be effective in graduate school. You know, you safe. Uh, open, playful space, and you make sure everyone's comfortable with kind of where the boundaries are, and you let the dreams go free, you know, and and explore them and study them. And that's, you know, I, I, that's why I think the chapter on dreaming as a fundamental academic skill is is a really powerful one, and yeah. and you know, let Bernard speak to. It. But I think that's in some ways the most. Um, I don't know, innovative and sort of, you know, manifesto-like chapter of, of the book that really, yes. you know, makes the claim that this is foundational, yes. foundational to, to being becoming educated. One thing that was really um, just great all the way through about working with these guys, with Kelly and Phil all the way through, was that we have different areas of expertise, such as my expertise is. We have different interests. We're kind of culturally different in some ways. We come maybe from different approaches. Uh, to our relationships to schools, right. even, you know, like uh, professionally different. But I think we all shared very early on a sense that however you could or couldn't prove it statistically, there were advantages to dream education that every educator could profit from considering. Uh -huh. And that they got to vital issues in contemporary education. And I'll just say, since, since Kelly tosses the issue of fundamental academic skill to me, that one of the things I wanted to, to strongly say is the same thing I say about my teaching, that active learning is good for people, uh, you know, actual projects that they really do actively, not, pass not passively, mm -hmm. inductive learning, where they're not just parroting somebody else's theory, uh, but they're actually creating their own uh, hypotheses out of the evidence that they consider carefully is important and is good for everybody. And collaborative and supportive groups in learning yeah. are good for everybody. And when you do dream groups, you have all of those three things. And you ask people to keep a dream journal and to, you know, it's. I think it's very hard to learn effectively when you're in a psychologically defensive position, which you very often are with the authority of the teacher in the room. So when the students have the model fairly consistently of, we're all here to help each other discover something. Yeah. Discovering something about ourselves personally in the dream groups 
is a great model for then discovering something about do you really take Freud's theory seriously? Do you really take Jung's theory seriously? Do you need to actually do lab work to understand contemporary psychology or any other question that might be considered? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think this, I, I am just going to go jump ahead because it seemed to me that um, the, having the book come out now seems like a, a, a kind of the logical progression of more, uh, more interaction between dream experts internationally, uh, more interest in dreams in d various fields. For instance, uh, you cited Barbara Tedlock's work in anthropology, sort of a whole different way of more, more kind of inclusive way of looking at dreams cross-culturally. At the same time, this is really a book about education, it seems to me. And that's a bold thing to do in this time, I just have to say that. I mean, it, you know, as I just despair at some points about education. And, and I think mm -hmm. that, um, you know, you're absolutely spot on with saying that dreaming and this type of innovative, collaborative uh, work together that, that that breaks down the psychological defensiveness and allows learning to happen is absolutely what education needs and yet oh my god look at the time period we're in right now yeah 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 it's I mean I think that the you know one of the, the underlying uh, themes of the book is how teachers practically deal with the administrative challenges of bring these classes and mm -hmm. invariably they you know they find that the students really like the courses and you know in all the ways that administrators make teachers measure such things the students rate the classes very highly so it you know there's uh, I feel like I mean you ask sort of you know why now or what's the what's the moment of, you know that the book is speaking to and I, I think it's a there is a I guess it's a marker of maybe a stage of maturation of dream studies and dream research generally where we're able to say, yeah, look, there's a, there's a, a lot of teachers who are all kind of having similar experiences that are, that are encouraging of, you know, more, more awareness and reflection and building on that. So, um, yeah, it, it, it feels good to, you know, have finally brought it to, to, to fruition and, and, and hopefully see some, some impact. And every movement mobilizes a counter-movement. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm personally very influenced by uh, Carl Rogers mm -hmm. and his ideas about education from the 1960s and com coming to the classroom the whole, with the whole of your personality and right. not being you know, afraid of engaging emotionally with the material. And that was a swing against, you know, very conformist education in the 1950s. And, you know, with standards of learning so popular with legislators, and I don't want to get all political about it, but we know that it's not happening because professional educators are saying this is the way it's happening. It, it panders to a certain kind of uh, uh, movement among uh, politicians. You know, there's a counter-movement, too, where the educators are, I think, getting wise and saying, well, as you may have noticed, we have a, an appendix on assessment. Mm -hmm. It is possible to do good, serious professional assessment without constantly attempting to quantify that which cannot be quantified. Mm -hmm. and in this respect, I feel fortunate to come from an art school because we have very long traditions of assessment through portfolio. Right and through documenting the students' engagement and actual, through their actual professional achievement upon graduation and many, many other things besides the notion that we will document 
your success in the class through your success on a series of random tests, you know? So obviously we're we're strongly advocating for the the counter-movement to that standards of learning. It's no, it would be no secret to anybody looking at the book that we would feel strongly about that. Yes. But it's true, the movement is the other way now, and the movement among educators is against uh, the standards of learning and for finding, I think, interesting and exciting new ways of doing teaching. Well, I guess my my best hope in this regard is that, uh, you know, once we begin to climb out of the slump and the just, you know, the degradation of education that we're in, this book will have a a place on the, the, you know, front bookshelf of many education reformers because I think that, you know, you've got some really great things to say uh, to the different disciplines. For instance, I was um, looking at the the um, chapter on psychotherapy and counseling and was, I don't know why I am still shocked about this, that there's no, the dream education in psychotherapy is is underrepresented. How can that be? A hundred years after Freud, or more. Yeah, well, and Phil Phil King, you know, took took the lead on on that chapter, but I I think we were all um, shocked, and it, you know, kind of makes you want to cry, because in our society, you know, people assume that the bearers of knowledge and wisdom about dreams are therapists and psychologists, and it turns out that they get no, you know, virtually no education whatsoever. And unless they go to a, a Freudian or a Jungian institute, perhaps, but even there, they're often just going to get a Freudian or a Jungian perspective. So, so uh, you know, your, your listeners and are probably better educated. I mean, I'm sure they are. They are better educated than 99% of, of psychotherapists about yeah. what, what dreams are about. And yeah. yeah, that's a sad statement. But it does have its historical, you know, reasons, and they have to do with, as I think, you know, Phil has has adequately documented, they have to do with the history of ideas about what the aims of therapy are, and the the change from that sort of more philosophical thing with with which we associate Freud and Jung, whatever their excesses and and Mm -hmm. possible cultism, there is a very profound understanding that, that therapy is a sort of classical Greek model of learning to address your life in a different way, right. as opposed to the contemporary movement of addressing specific problems. And for people who have those problems, you know, there is no reason why you shouldn't take the medication that addresses it or have the short-term therapy that will lead you to learn to deal with your life, but the larger sense of therapy uh, is getting squeezed out, yes. Yes. And in particular, I was interested in the... I, I may have to do a show about dreams and post-traumatic stress disorder yeah, because it is so germane to where we are as a culture right now um, and it's so necessary and yet and it, and, and it is, was in, also in this chapter on psychotherapy and counseling and my gosh it would be really great to spread to spread some more information useful information and, and, and that's one of the other things that I just wanted to underline about uh, my reading of the book is that it has so much useful, I mean, a person reading this who is maybe a therapist and has very little education uh, around dreams can just right away pull out some really useful tips about how to just, like, correct language and ways to think about, for instance, uh, you cite, uh, let's see, 
uh, Clara Hill's factors about dream work versus dream monitoring. I mean, just having that distinction. Am I, as a therapist, monitoring this person's dreams just to kind of get a baseline sense of their nighttime activity, or am I? Where are we actually doing dream work? Right. Yeah. It's really helpful. Yeah. Well, I think we. I think with with that chapter and with with all the others. I mean, I think we're we're hoping to provide you know some 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 of the resources that are just that are so um, abundantly available in dream studies generally, but yeah. but often specific teachers in specific disciplines don't have access to all that. So right. we really did try to, you know, yeah, put, put a lot together within the, the, the covers of the book. Right. You know what they say about standing on the shoulders of giants. When you do a course, uh, when you do a book, which, you know, takes some time together, surveying, takes, takes excuse me, some time to put together, surveying a lot of people, learning about their teaching practices, and particularly, essentially, I mean, I think, Kelly and Phil and I all reviewed in some detail everything we've ever known about people's ideas about dreaming is, you know, in one section you're able to give a very brief rundown on how you might bring Ernest Hartman's ideas Uh about dreaming and personality style, or for that matter, his ideas about dreaming and post-traumatic stress syndrome into an undergraduate class in in a way that would make them accessible and also, you know, in a fundamental way change their ideas about... Uh, subjectivity about orientation right. to the world. I'm sorry about the phone. There's nothing I can do uh, about that right now. That's okay. Yeah, and Kelly, you've already contributed to that uh, effort largely by a, a lot of your books, many of which I have, I'm looking at on my shelf right now. For instance, The Dreaming in the World's Religions, brilliant book. And, uh, you know, adding to not just anthropology, really, but uh, philosophy, religious studies. I mean, that's that. The, you know, books like that are just furthering, just are so helpful. I can't believe that, well, I guess uh, I'll reframe that. It's a great time to be a teacher and be looking for wonderful resources on dreams for your curricula. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's probably a, a, an autobiographical way of describing the project for all of us. It's, you know, it's the book we wish we had when we started out as teachers. Um you know, and a lot of a lot of books. I guess we write. You know, have that quality that um, we gather together. What you know, it, I, I think that we we make a, a kind of an underlying case that that to be I don't know familiar with and fluent with the language of, of dreaming is part of you know having a sort of a literate mind. And um, beyond just you know reading and writing arithmetic, there's something about the qualities of, of mind and thought and critical reflection that come with any form of dream education that, that I think we're ultimately arguing are, you know, valuable in almost any educational context. So, yeah, it, it, it does feel like kind of a summation of, you know, what we've done and kind of what we wish we knew at the, at the outset. Right. And, Bernard, I'm curious, being at an art college, uh, do you have you found it to be a tough sell? I mean, I I, I find your you, you found your chapter on film studies pretty riveting. I mean, the the similarities between dreams and film, particularly now when there's been Inception and Avatar and all of these these films that that um, replicate a, almost a lucid dreaming experience. Has this been a tough sell for you in your uh, with your administration to deal with dreams in film studies? I'm sorry, I have to kind of laugh here because, you know, I began teaching these, these, the actual interdisciplinary course 
on Dreaming in 1985, and the fine arts faculty in particular were just getting every student in the school to sign up for it. I mean, oh, wow. lining up a pre-registration, we had to open new sections. I changed my um, schedule so I could do other sections of it. It, it there was a, Because it's an art school, there's yeah. a very traditional recognition that introspection and appreciation of symbolism and of the products of the unconscious were going to be valuable to people. Mm -hmm. I have had occasions when administrators, I, you know, I, I remember a story of being introduced to a trustee yeah. uh, at a little gathering and the administrator said, Bernard is particularly known for this and he tells him a little bit about the dream class and then makes a kind of offhand, it may sound a little eccentric or, you know, it might seem odd that we're giving people credit for this. And the trustee kind of drew herself up and said, I think it sounds extremely interesting. <laughs> and and I have never had anything, and this is what's kind of weird to me, is I've never had anything but positive response, you know, perhaps the occasional raised eyebrow. But in the world of the arts and humanities, the two things that come up that interest me are, number one, the fact that people find it fascinating and interesting, and yet it's never really occurred to them to apply contemporary understanding, knowledge, exploration of dreams to the arts and humanities, immediately they say, oh, so I guess you teach Freud. Ugh. So, right. Not even, and I went to, you know, I've been to conferences where people have done the medieval dream vision and dreams in contemporary Italian avant-garde, and only incredibly rarely have I encountered somebody who was even marginally familiar with the major ideas about dreaming now. The other thing that always surprises me a little bit is, as I say, the course has been popular and, and the students have expressed a continuing interest. But for all the faculty members that I've met who expressed an interest in the course, I've heard very few people who said, oh, so maybe I could do that. Or, you know, um, how do you do that dream discussion thing? Because is that something we could just sit down and do in my class? Mm -hmm. I think they think that it's some crazy technique that you have to study for years, that you have a degree in psychology. And, you know, I often literally say, I just try to create a warm, accepting atmosphere in which people will not tell each other what they think, you know, I know what your dream means or something like that. Right. We're just going to tell each other things that we don't always tell each other. And we're going to try to notice things about each other's dream accounts. Mm -hmm. For some reason, they don't want to jump into it and do it themselves. And that, that seems curious to me. But I have very, very little experience of, of negative response. I know that because some people do, that, that I placed particular emphasis with Kelly and Phil upon, um, you know, what I've heard from people at IASD conferences. I'd really like to have some ideas about what to say to administrators when I try to propose this course. Uh -huh. yeah. That's in the book for that reason. Uh-huh. Uh, Kelly, did you have something to add to that? Or you... Well, I mean, that, that uh, specific question of how to explain and uh, guide people who, who are interested to uh, the, the sort of best practices around sharing dreams in, a, in the classroom, uh, not just sort of studying dreams and reading about them and such, but um, in some form or other, having the students bring their own dream experiences into the educational space. And, and so we spend a lot of time uh, talking about the, you know, all the, the you know, consequences of doing that and the ways to set up the classroom and set up the expectations and create a, you know, secure boundary. Um, and yet we 
I don't think we ever um, insist that that's, you know, a requirement or something mm-hmm. that has to be uh, practiced, you know, because some people or, and or some subjects, that's, that's just not, you know, going to be part of the process. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think we, we found with so many people, uh, you know, like Bernard said, who don't have extensive experience or psychological training, um, it's not that hard. It really isn't. And the students like it. And the students teach the teacher and everybody yeah. learns pretty quickly kind of what the comfortable bounds of, of self-expression and um, commentary are. And it, 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 it goes by itself almost. I mean, that's, it's hard to mm-hmm. tell people that without, you know, them having the experience, but that's, that's what a lot of people report. And so, yeah. you know, we try to give people the, some ideas about how to get that kind of dynamic going in their own classes. Mm-hmm. And I, go ahead. So, I taught Dreams and Cinema as a three-week summer course this year to a bunch of students who had no previous experience with the subject matter, were curious about it. Many of them just wanted to take a cinema class and saw that there were some really cool films on the schedule. And, you know, it, I, it's difficult boasting in this way, but I got so many nice notes at the end of the semester. And, and I had said right at the beginning of the semester, look, we're putting dreams and cinema together. Of course, I have some ideas about why this is an interesting conjunction, but I do not yet have, you know, some well-founded theory that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to pass on to you and I'm going to tell you this is the way it is or whatever. We covered a lot of topics, as you know from looking at that chapter. We mm-hmm. t- covered, you know, the, the, the horror film as a version of the nightmare. We covered the fascination that people have had in films like Inception about the ability of film to create a metaphysical sense of puzzlement that is like uh, the dream. We talked about the relationship of dream states to the uh, what you actually see in an avant-garde or an experimental film, but when it was all over, many of them said, I'm so glad that we did the dream groups. Hmm. Because in some ways, that's it was in the dream group that I learned to take a different approach to looking for symbols and images mm-hmm. and thinking about their relationship to each other and how they might express an idea. And I do feel for people in the arts and humanities that one of the great advantages of looking at dreams is we tend to take a very instrumental and programmatic view of art sometimes. We tend to think that, oh, you know, I will come up with the one proper interpretation of this. And the dream teaches you to look at something from many sides. Mm-hmm. The, and and it's, it is, it teaches you to look at something from so many sides. And really the, the, uh, the skill of observation is central to any art form. And expanding the your capacity to observe detail that you would not have uh, have otherwise seen, that just makes you better at whatever you're doing. Yeah, and of course it's fundamental to learning as we all like right. to think. Which brings me, uh, you know, I, of course now you've, you've got this incredible book with all of these great sections in it, and all I could think of was, oh, what, but which of the subjects aren't represented in the book? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, you uh, or later on in the book you talk about. Um, the Mark Johnson and the meaning of the body and this whole idea of the body mind and that was one of the places that I thought of first was sports and any sort of physical activity or vocational activity because that I think that you know things that we do physically grappling with whether it's engineering or whether it's football there's just a way in which dreams kind of open ourselves up to that process of, of embodiment can we just call Phil here for a minute? 
<laughs> this is like his thing. Oh, it is? Oh. <laughs> no, he's so good with this stuff, I think. Well, I was thinking that, and, I, and also the sciences, notable, notably lacking, and so I guess, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying anybody should write anything, but I think that there is a, a, a place for dreams in general science curricula, too. Yeah, yeah well, we've, I, I, I think that one of the uh, strategies we, we adopted um, early in the process was to um, try to start from where the educational practices were, were strongest and most um, widely practiced and where people had built up a lot of experience and then kind of, you know, extend our range to places as far as we personally could reach, um, acknowledging that there are some places we just weren't going to be able to cover or we just hadn't been able to find any any particular educational practices that, that we could we could report on. So it's not that they're not out there, and it's not certainly not that they shouldn't be out there. It's just that um, you know, yeah, there's there's certainly um, several disciplines and 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 kind of programs that that uh, I think we suspect have have some robust dream teaching traditions, but we just you know weren't able to yeah. to include them in this book. You know, and as you say, I mean, Kelly has done some independent theorizing about religion and indeed about dreaming itself, and to a large extent we are reporting here. I'm thinking, you know, according to your first point, that some of the most exciting dream workshops I've ever been in were run by Laurel McCabe, uh -huh. and were about dreaming and the body. And, and yet I don't know everything that she knows. In a sense, we're waiting for her yeah. to take the lead, her and other people, I mean, Robbie Bosnack, a whole bunch of people to take the lead on dreaming in the body so that there's more going on mm -hmm. out there, in a sense, to report on. And I think one thing, you've said many kind things about the book, but one thing that I feel strongly about that's a positive about the book is it leaves the, the definition of the dream kind of open. It leaves the future direction of dream theory, yes. not to say just dream education open. There are many surprises yet to come and many, many applications of the use of the dream. So just to cite another example, I wish that I had had more material at my command about dreaming and the teaching of acting, because that also goes to what are you doing in your body, and, and very often in asking people to work with the dream, the acting teacher is not asking you in a sense to act out the dream, they're actually just trying to give you a different sense of your relation to your body, yes. your connection to the dream. And that is obviously a very exciting idea. It's, I think it's going to be the focus of a, a, of a workshop or a track even at the next IASD conference next year in Berkeley. So, you know, Great. watch this space, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You, you should, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Philip Zarelli's book on psychophysical acting. Yeah. He's, he yeah. kind of touches on some of that. That would be very good to uh, yeah. check out. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to touch on, and we're we're kind of we're we're winding down in in a sense, so I want to be conscious of time and and try and get to a few other points. But one of the things that I really did want to highlight is your chapter on alternative and community education. I think this is so important because uh, starting with the private grad schools, uh, institutes, for instance, Saybrook, uh, Pacifica, and JFK, where, Kelly, you've been um, for quite a while, some time, on, off and on, is that correct? Yes, indeed. 
I, it seems to me that those are the places, along with maybe ITP or CIIS and various other ones on the East Coast, those are the places where people from whatever profession go to get a more, dream, uh, more dream study. Uh, if it's attached to a, a, a graduate degree, a master's or a PhD. And, and then from going from there to the community dream programs, uh, Hayden Institute, Jeremy's, Marin Institute for Projective Dreamwork. I just I, I feel like you've done a, a great service by not just collecting uh, the examples of different ways that dreams have filtered into the general lifelong education milieu, but also uh, given some kind of guidelines as to what to look for. Um, maybe maybe uh, some cautions about the whole, like for instance, the charismatic uh, thing and, and thinking about the quality of, of uh, community dream education. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's a, that was a chapter that we, I think, talked about and reflected on a, a lot because, uh, you know, it's not. We we know a lot of the people. We've 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 interacted with them over the years. We've learned about the you know the the, the whole variety of of uh, people who are involved in dream education. And so what we what we tried to do in that chapter was just give a really honest and just you know as as straightforward uh, an accounting as we could of kind of the pros and cons of being following an alternative, quote-unquote, educational path. You know, we, when we talk about dreams in psychology or anthropology or film studies, all those chapters were more or less focusing on traditional mainstream colleges and universities and grad schools. Um, but that's not by, by any means the only place where, where really creative dream education is happening. And so, like you say, you know, in some alternative educational settings, you know, John F. Kennedy, CIIS, Saybrook Institute, uh, Pacific Institute, you know, several schools that we talk about, there are actually, you know, really uh, sophisticated and, and extensive uh, course offerings uh, in, in dream studies. And so, you know, that's really exciting. There's downsides to the, you know, the, in, in terms of, um, you know, the helpful uh, aspects of, of uh, sort of academic culture and, you know, the mainstream approach does does keep you know people sort of focused on certain things and uh, avoid certain problems that when you are in an alternative educational setting can uh, be more problematic. You know, the charismatic guru effect uh, right. uh, is you know one one theme we talk about. And that Phil is really I think the best uh, most articulate of us about that. But um, so yeah, I you know that that chapter was. Um, very, a lot of thought went into that, and a lot of reflection about how, how to really support and and encourage people in that community and those who are, you know, interested in being, you know, not teaching in a conventional setting, but people who are teachers and who have a passion for helping other people learn more about their dreams. We, you know, we want to help them as much as we want to help a, you know, psychology professor in a university. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a it's you know maybe too obvious a point to state, and Kelly has stated it to some extent. But one of the many exciting and unusual things about working with 
with dreams professionally in education is there are many fields that you can mention where the exciting and pioneering work has been done in universities and colleges. But in dreaming, it's just all over the place. And as you know, dreaming is one of those areas that national and international interest just began to skyrocket with yes. the Internet and the ability of people to get in touch with each other. So uh, I should say particularly that I want to state that the alternative and community stuff, it has to be phrased in such a way that it, it's quite clear that we're talking about a diversity of modes and vectors and ways of transmitting knowledge these days, ways of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Working full-time in a college that grants degrees and is accredited, I know that we are very, very challenged by socioeconomic changes that are making it clearer that such institutions have to change. They have to change their profile. People do not need our accreditation so much to get certain kinds of jobs. They need particular kinds of training. And many people are aware that some of the most exciting and stimulating education that they can find these days is outside of the college, outside of the university. So, of course, it's, it's really important to cover that stuff. It also leads on to one of our other big issues, which is really that as educational technology changes and as technologies of information change, the way in which we share dreams and the way in which we share knowledge about dreams is very different. So that's why we have placed some particular emphasis for those who are excited and those who are fearful on, for example, the use of a blog yeah. or some other contemporary kind of uh, educational technology as a means of sharing both dreams and knowledge about dreams. Mm -hmm. uh, Kelly, were you about to say something in the midst of that? No, 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 no. I want to hear your, your, your questions are great, so please. This is my dream job, I have to say, because every book I've ever read, I always want to have a conversation with the author. <laughs> Great. So, so yeah. No, uh, and so I think that uh, your point is well taken also in this community and alternative education chapter that the, the role of the International Association for the Study of Dreams in uh, sort of um, taking uh, to, to creating a thoughtful ethics statement and to creating maybe some type of container within which uh, dream studies programs that are, uh, whether they're independent of degree-granting institutions or integral to them, they can all sort of be, be assessed. There's a lot of peer review, informal, I would say, but still the networking and the peer review, I, th I think is really invaluable to the growth of this kind of education and also to the maintenance of some sort of standard. You've said that so clearly, one hardly knows how to <laughs> I guess it wasn't a question. It was a <laughs> <laughs> And I, yeah. I guess I would particularly call out uh, Johanna King's uh, comment about the, the, that it's not really a, a, the question when you're looking at for a dream teacher is, is not really whether they're an academic or whether they're what you call this dream entrepreneur category, but really their level of training. I thought that was a really good point because now it is kind of an open field. Anybody can hang out a shingle with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, varying levels of, of, let's say, training and thoughtfulness around dream interpretation, for instance. Yeah, we all know that. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I guess that that we have a, you know, it, we we don't go into the question of should there be a certificate program that you know everyone should have to pass a certain proficiency and some you know, I don't know how you'd ever design that. I mean, I think that's that's not the path we follow. We we just try to uphold 
and articulate the, the, the reasoning behind some basic principles that, that the IASD and other, you know, groups advocate for just kind of bathing oneself. And, and I think that, I think we all have a, a trust in the, um, the power of interdisciplinary work to keep people honest just in itself. If you're really committing yourself to, you know, exploring dreams using many different resources, you're, you're going to be kind of, you know, in a, in a, in a zone where you will have to give up some cherished projections and some cherished, you know, self-beliefs. And, and so I, you know, I think we just trust that dream education provides its own, um, support for, for keeping people, you know, in a, moving in a good direction. Wow, that's also extremely well said. So, <laughs> and I, I know that we should, you know, it, there are so many things that have contributed to the usefulness of this book for which we can't claim any responsibility. And one is the, you know, the permission to reprint the ethical guidelines of the International Association for the Study of Dreams, which people worked, I mean, if you've seen those meetings, they just worked heroically mm-hmm. on putting that together. And the questions might seem incredibly abstract to my students, but they're the things that guarantee, uh, I must say, the success of the dream group in the class is having those guidelines. And, yeah. and, and I would say that that speaks to just the thoughtfulness of everybody in the IASD that was doing that, but also the dream community, for lack of a better word. I really don't like the word community, but whatever. Uh, because, uh, you know, I think it was done in response to seeing, um, you know, sort of over-the-top behavior in a lot of different areas, whether it's spirituality or, or psychology, and knowing that this, you know, as you say in the book, this hasn't happened yet in the dream field, but there's been all this proactive um, activity to create a sort of sense of standards and a sense of the norm, I think. And I would say, you know, sort of my last compliment of the afternoon is that, you know, thank you both, and I should thank Philip King as well, for just creating this sense of the norm. This, is, this actually could be a baseline for integrating dream activity and dream understandings into education in general. Oh, well, 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 thank you for that. I, you know, we, we definitely, uh, you know, like Bernard said, I mean, we're... Uh, we're just kind of humbled by how many people we, you know, we, we knew already and didn't know they were such amazing teachers and then people we didn't even know were out there that have, that, you know, have no connection with ISD, you know, or just sort of solo scholars who are just virtuosos of dream education. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just been a really exciting, you know, it's, been, it's made writing the book a lot of fun because we feel like we're kind of showcasing, you know, some of these just amazing teachers and, Hoping that that you know we'll just create some some synergies as people say, "Whoa, look what they're doing in that class and in that discipline." Huh? Wonder what ha- what would happen if I brought that into my classroom? You know, see what happens. Right. Very exciting. And um, well, thank you both for for being here. I'm going to let you go. I know it's. Um, I really appreciate you making the time to talk with me. We've been talking with Kelly Bulkley and Bernard Welt. They are two of the three authors, along with Philip King, of the new book, Dreaming in the Classroom, Practices, Methods, and Resources in Dream Education. And this is 
published by SUNY Press, uh, Robert Van de Castle's great series of, of On Dreams. He's the editor of the series. Um, any things coming up that people should know about if they're interested in keeping on, uh, keeping a little um, finger on the pulse of dreams in education? Well, the website for the book, which will be out okay. soon, but I do not, I don't have the URL for it yet because of the hosting issue, but my my feeling is if people are very interested and want to follow this up, what they could do is Google dreaming in the classroom as if it's all one word. Oh, good. And then whatever, whoever is hosting it, it'll either be .com or it'll be .something.com. So that will be up, I hope, very soon. I'm, I'm off, as Kelly knows, a, a very long trip and, right. of course, preparing for the fall. But there will be a website, uh, and I hope that it will bring together more resources. Uh, yeah. People who are interested in the book may also find it interesting. Yeah, yeah, and and sort of along the lines of you know web web resources relating to dream education that are uh, works in progress. I've, I'm uh, creating a, a database called called the Sleep and Dream Database uh, uh, that uh, I think is you know everything we've been hearing from teachers about how fun it is for students to work with dreams in the classroom. It, this is, you know, my effort to kind of provide it, uh, a, a resource for more of that kind of activity. So, Fantastic. more on that to come too. Yeah. And and that brings that reminds me that I did not mention the the appendices and also just the resource section in the back. So yeah, definitely a very worthy book for for teachers at any level to pick yeah, well, up. Thanks, you both of you, so much for being on Dream Talk Radio. So thank you very much for your, your comments and your questions, which have been great. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks. All right. You're welcome. <laughs> Bye. That wraps up another Dream Talk Radio podcast. I'm Ann Hill, and you can find my past shows at dreamtalkradio.net and on iTunes. Be sure and join the Dream Talk Radio Facebook page or follow me on Twitter at Ann Hill to get announcements about future shows. Thanks for listening.